Hey, this is Junior Ziegler. Thanks for listening to my podcast. I hope this time in God's Word encourages you. Hope it brings you closer to God. Hope it challenges your perspective. Glad you're joining. Enjoy the message. When I graduated college 11 years ago now, I started working here. Actually, so I started working here because, the, unfortunately, the, the student ministry pastor at the time had, had a, an issue, moral failure, marriage fell apart. And so the elders asked me to step in just to fill in, and, and they haven't asked me to, to leave yet. And, uh, and when I, so when I stepped in, I was really surprised just how much leadership stuff is out there. For me, it was almost disturbing because in Bible college, I got no leadership stuff. Which is a shame. It's probably why there's a lot of ineffective churches. Uh, but Bible college, no leadership stuff. Then I get into the church world, and it's like leadership books and leadership podcasts and leadership conferences. And there's like these leadership meetings all, all around the city. And so I was skeptical. Uh, I'll, I'll admit, I was like the typical cocky Bible college grad. I was like, this should be about the Bible, not leadership. Which is dumb. It wasn't until I, I heard a guy named John Maxwell speak. I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy. He's, he's awesome. I mean, this guy blew me away. He's a pastor. He's a good, godly man. Authored 70-plus books. I don't know how that's, pop, how that's possible unless you have, like, ghostwriters or something. But as he spoke, I was sitting there in a chair. I, was, I mean, I was hanging on every single one of his words. And I remember he said this. He said, the true measure of leadership is influence. Nothing more, nothing less. Leadership is not a title, it's your influence. And you think about it, God gives us two things. God gives us resources and God gives us influence. Two things that God will judge you by. And, and we will stand before God, we will be judged. And he will judge us based on how we used our influence, or our, we used our resources, how we used our influence, our leadership. The truth is God has placed you in different environments and you're to influence those environments for the kingdom of God. You have families. Some of us have kids, and we're going to answer for how we influence our kids. Our workplaces, we're, we're to influence our coworkers, especially if you're the boss. My goodness, if you're the boss, you will be judged on the kind of boss that you were. Uh, we all have social circles, uh, friends and neighbors. We will answer for how we influence them. God has given you influence, and you will answer for it. And I don't need to tell you this. Right now, we find ourselves in a very critical moment in history, and a lot of public unrest right now, a lot of unknowns as we go into the future. The economy is fragile, people are on edge, the nuclear family has its enemies now more than ever. A lot of churches are closing their doors, and God has intentionally placed you at a time like this to lead out an influence. I mean, a lot is on the line. Our families are at stake. Church depends on your leadership. This world depends on your influence. It's a time such as this that leaders step up and shine. And God has placed you in this moment for that very reason. There's a big opportunity before us. But before we take it, before we maximize our influence, we got to view our leadership different. we got to view even what leadership means very differently. In some way, we're all botching leadership at some level. So we got to talk. And we got to hit the reset button. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're in chapter 4 today. I really encourage you to grab a Bible, whether it's like a paper Bible that you brought or whether it's a Bible on your phone. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 is where we're going to be. And we're just going to kind of walk right through the chapter. Now, I will say this as you're turning there. The thing with what we're talking about today, talking leadership today, it seems so, how do I say this? It seems so like self-help. And some pastors, they get really super into this and get very like corporate 
type leadership heavy on the weekends. I don't, I don't judge them. It's just not my thing. But for me, sometimes it feels like talking leadership in church. It just feels very self-help. Problem is, is there's a lot of self-help in the Bible. It would be unfaithful to Scripture to just never go there. I mean, the fact of the matter is, this chapter, 1 Corinthians 4, is about leadership. I mean, you look at the, the headings in your Bible. You've got your Bible there already. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, what's the heading on the top of, of the chapter? It says the ministry of the, of the apostles. You could replace that ministry with the leadership of the apostles. Their leadership. Paul's about to talk about their leadership. And so we're just going to walk through this and unpack it, but not in this like self-help pitch way. It reminds me of the Geico commercial. Remember Pinocchio and the Geico commercial? And he's, he's giving like some leadership talk, and he's like, you got potential, and you got potential. And his nose is getting bigger as he's telling everybody they got potential. We're not going to do that. But with our Bibles in hand, we're going to talk about something we got to get better at. And we need some help with it. So first we pray. Father, we, we thank you that your word is so practical. And we thank you that you have called us to greater things today. In so many ways, many of us are, are living in fear, kind of hunkering down. And yet you've asked us, no, you're to lead out, you're to influence. And so God, I, I pray that we eliminate all distractions. A lot of us have things to do this afternoon. We've got big weeks ahead of us. But this is, this is so important, this time right here. May we, rem may we remember that. And may we listen for you're about to speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as the lens of Scripture zooms in on 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we find ourselves in a town that we're becoming more and more familiar with, the, the city of Corinth. We've been here four weeks now. It's, it's starting, we're starting to be able to find our way around town a little bit better. You know, the breeze off the bay and the, and the hilled landscape. It's starting to feel a little bit more like home. It's a nice place to be in January, especially on a day like today. Not to mention the Greek food is fantastic. And, and as we spend our time in Corinth, we're, we're getting to know the people. We're getting to know the church people that we're staying with. And as we're with the church people, we're finding that though they're good people, the culture just isn't healthy. There's a lot of tension. There's a lot of awkwardness. There's a lot of passive-aggressive comments going on at church. There's a lot of ego. There's a lot of hurt feelings. And as we go to church, we, we feel it. And for some of us, it reminds us of our own homes of our own workplaces. It reminds us of back in 2021 in the Chicago area. And Paul's about to diagnose their problem. Yeah, there's selfishness, there's cowardliness, there's a lack of love, and he'll get to all that later on. But in this chapter, he calls out how they're using their influence, their leadership. If this little church is going to impact this city, they've got to be intentional with how they're using their influence, and it's the same with us. And so as the Corinthian church, 50, 60 people sit down and open this letter from Paul. We follow along today. This is what Paul writes. He says, this is how one should regard us, look at this, as servants of Christ. And this verse is so good in the original Greek. The, the word servants here, you know, we think of servants, what do we think of? Think of like a butler, right? Or, or, or a maid. This word, though, also translates as, as under rower, like, like, you're, like you're rowing a boat. Okay, Junior, why does that matter at all? Well, on an ancient ship, you have a captain at the helm and you have a first mate, you know, at, 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 on the upper deck. But then below, in the belly of the boat, there are under rowers. This is a lowly position. You're, you're sitting in a dark area. It's a very musty area. And you're just rowing all day. They, they often use slaves for this job. So you think about what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, hey, if you want to be a great leader, if you want to lead your home well, if you want to lead out at work, if you want to maximize your influence, 
Get to the bottom of the ship and grab an oar. To be a great leader, number one, Paul's point is be a great servant. You want to be a great leader? Start with this. Be a great servant. When I was 18, I worked on a farm up in Wisconsin. And uh, the farmer that hired me, I love this guy. I love the farmer. He, he's a hardworking guy, and he was one of the best leaders that, that, I've, uh, that I've known. When I walked onto his farm, he saw it as his job to serve me. Trained me to use the equipment, trained me really well, was very patient with me. He would make sure the tractor was all gassed up and, and ready to go uh, before, before my shift. Uh, he set me up for my shift to succeed. He would bring me water. He was a servant. Now, I still, he, I still answered to him. He still corrected me. He signed my paycheck, but he saw it as his job to serve me. He was a fantastic boss. A few months into the job, his daughter took over, and the opposite happened. You ever know somebody and you're like, they're a great person and, and you like them, but they're just terrible in leadership? Like they can't handle being in charge. They get all bossy and mean. Like leadership to them is shouting orders. That was this girl. I liked her before she became the boss. As soon as she became the boss, she was ordering us around and getting frustrated and we were all her servants. And to her defense, she could do that. She was the boss. She had the title. She could do that. But what happened was the culture on the farm changed. It went from very enjoyable to very tense. It was almost like walking on eggshells all around the farm. I, I used to see the farmer coming out to the field, and I would get excited. He was like, oh, he's bringing me water. He's coming to you know, see how I'm doing. He's coming to help me do my job better. He's coming to row my boat. I would see her coming, and I would think, oh, shoot, what's her problem now? And when I quit, uh, she asked me, and I, I kind of, she said, you know, why are you quitting? And, and I kindly told her, I said, I just, I'm sorry, I just can't work for you. And she said, well, you're fired then. I'm quitting. It's like Michael Scott in the office. You ever seen that episode where somebody quits and he fires them? It's totally that situation. This is kind of what, this is what Paul's getting at here. You want to be a great leader, be a great servant. If you want to have a healthy culture in your home, in your workplace, in your church, in your world, we got to become the under rowers of the ship. It's called servant leadership. Good leaders will walk into a house, They'll walk into their office, they'll walk into meetings thinking, how can I help other people succeed? How can I help everybody else succeed? How can I row their boat to success? So it's, it's like the, uh, the guys who showed up, the parking team, who showed up to shovel the snow this morning. Walked in going, how can I row everybody else's boat today? I'm going to shovel the snow so that they can get into the church easier. It's good leadership. Bad leaders will walk into a house, will walk into an office, will walk into meetings thinking, how can everyone help me succeed? How can I get everybody else to row my boat to success? Corinth is struggling because everyone is trying to get everybody else to row their boat. And they're all stepping on each other's toes and bumping into each other. Servant leadership. Modeled to us perfectly by Jesus. Jesus' disciples didn't do much for Jesus' success. Right? If anything, they slowed him down. But Jesus set them up for success. Jesus served them. Then they, in turn, served the church. And now here we are today, called to do the same thing and serve other people. See, people have to follow titles, but people want to follow servants. We have to follow titles. I had to follow the farmer's daughter. She had the title. She was the boss. She signed the paycheck. But I wanted to follow the farmer because he was a good leader. He was a servant. Servant leadership. Let me, and let me add this to you, because I've seen this with guys. I've seen guys make this excuse, and sometimes, so what happens is sometimes people won't confront somebody in their home. They won't confront somebody on their, their team. And I've seen guys do this with their wives, and I've seen wives do this with their husbands. They'll go, okay, you know, that needs to be a conversation. She's out of line. He's out of line. But hey, I'm a servant. 
And so I'm just going to let it slide. That's not serving. That's not servant leadership. That's being a coward. Servant leadership is loving people, loving a spouse, loving a report, loving them enough to have the difficult conversation in grace. It's rowing their boat. My home growing up was healthy. A big part of that was because my dad never shied away from confrontation. He did what nobody else wanted to do, have that conversation, that awkward one, confront in grace. Sometimes rowing somebody's boat means having a loving conversation with them that you don't want to have. But all in all, are you an under rower? Are you a servant leader? Spouses, do you think, how can I, how can I row my spouse's boat today? Husbands of stay-at-home moms, before you leave the house, do you think, how can I row her boat? How can I set her up for a successful day? Can I empty the dishwasher, make breakfast, grab the trash on my way out? How can I set her up to win? Non-stay-at-homes, when you get into the office, do you walk in thinking, how can I row everybody's boat to success? Encouragement, acts of kindness, washing the break room microwave, making coffee for everyone. Are you rowing other people's boats? Or do you find yourself throughout the day very frustrated because you're trying to get everybody else to row your boat? Servant leader. And this could, this is where Paul starts. But this right here, this could drastically change our worlds, drastically change our homes and our workplaces. So good, isn't it? And it just gets better. Seriously, look at the, look at the next part of the verse. So verse 1. Look at verse 1. Two things Paul says we should be seen as in verse 1. He says, under rowers and, and you can answer me, we're a small group tonight, so it's fine. Under rowers and, or servants and, stewards. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, the mysteries of God, we talked about that back in week 2 and chapter 2. That's the wisdom of God. How we live differently than the rest of the world. God has given us wisdom, the skill for living. So that's what he's talking about there. But the main point here is servants. I want you to be an under rower, row people's boats, and I want you to steward. You're, you are to steward people under your influence. What does that mean? Steward people. It's kind of weird. Think about it this way. Think of it as a miner. So a miner will, will go into a hill. They'll discover you know, diamonds or gold and they'll the value in the hill, and they'll mine it out of the hill. They'll go into the hill, and they'll pull out the value. Paul is saying here, this right here is what good leaders do. They steward people. They mine. They identify the strengths in people, and then they pull it out of them. So to be a great leader, number two, be a great miner. See, most people think this way, and I've thought this way. Come on, you've thought this way too. Most people think this way. If people only saw my value, if people only saw my potential, I could run the company. I could, I could teach the class. I could manage the team. If people only saw the value in me. Good leaders think very differently. Instead, they look around and find the value of others, and they use that. I hate to use my dad as another example, but he's one of the best leaders I know. Think about it this way. So he's the, he's the lead pastor at the bridge. Uh, he does not lead the teaching team. I do that. He doesn't run staff meetings. Brian does that. He doesn't lead the campus pastors. Jordan does that. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't manage counseling. Becky does that. What does my dad do? He mines. He finds people's strengths, and he puts them in the position to shine. I was having this conversation with him last week. He's, he's like, Junior, my most common conversation that I have with people is I just see people, people down and say, hey, I see this in you. Let's do something about it. Let's pull it out. Let's, 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 let's let you shine. That's just good leadership. 
See, good leaders maximize and see and maximize the potential of others. They're not focused on themselves. They're seeing and maximizing the potential of other people. It's not about them. It's about the people that they serve. They row their boats and they find their strengths and let them shine. It's like the movie uh, Rocky. Or movies. Great movies, right? Rocky, of course, he's the main character. You know who I think is the real hero, though, in the Rocky movies? It's the, it's the guy in the background. You know that guy? It's Mickey. I think Mickey is, is the real hero. I mean, Rocky's the main character, but Mickey's the hero. He's the guy in the corner. He's the trainer. He's the steward. He's the miner. He's not looking to be the hero. He's looking to make the hero. Too many leaders see leadership as, I'm going to make myself the hero. I, I need to be the hero. They, I want to be the Rocky. But the best leaders are stewards. They're the Mickeys. Instead of becoming the Rocky, they make several Rockies to accomplish more than any one Rocky could ever. It's being a miner. You see, this whole idea is, is so critical when it comes to parenting, leading, leading a home. Like if you, have, if you have kids, God has given you these little minds. And it's not your job to, to make them live out your dreams and vicariously live through them. It's your job to steward. It's your job to find what God has placed in them like an archaeologist and then as a miner, draw it out of them. It's the same way with your team. It's the same way with your coworkers. It's the same way with your students. If you're a leader, your job is not to be the Rocky. Your job is to be the Mickey, to find their strengths, to train them, and make them the hero. That's what Jesus did, right? Okay, of course Jesus is the hero. But think about how many conversations Jesus had where he identified someone's potential. Peter. I'm going to call you Peter, the rock, and you're going to build my church. I mean, Jesus' disciples, they're a ragtag group, blue collar, some were hated. They all changed the world because Jesus mined their value and maximized it. Are you doing that? Or are you looking to shine yourself? And so doing creating competition and stepping on other people's toes. That's Corinth's problem. The good cultures are set by good leaders, and good leaders row people's boats and mine their value. Dang it, we are only one verse in. we got to keep going. Verse 2. If you look at verse 2, I'll just kind of skip through here a little bit. Verse 2, he says, um, stewards got to be faithful. Hey, what he's getting at is, as you row people's boats, as you mine value, what you're going to find is you're going to find you have a lot more influence than you had before. And so it's easy to let that influence get to your head and then use that for yourself. But we lead for the kingdom of God. We are faithful to God with our influence. We cash in our influence for the kingdom of God. So we're very different. So he says, uh, Stuart's got to be faithful. Our rest of the paragraph talks about how God will judge. God will bring to light the things that are hidden. So how we lead, how we lead our home lives, how we lead at work, how we lead our friends, we will answer for, for the cultures of our homes. We will answer for the leadership in the workplace and in the world. That really matters to God, and we will be judged accordingly. That's that paragraph. On to verse 6, though. Verse 6. He says, I, Paul, have applied all these things, being a steward, being a servant, rowing people's boats, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos. Look at this. For your benefit. Not for my benefit, for your benefit. Brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, meaning Scripture. We, we, we don't go beyond Scripture. That none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. Now, Paul's getting it here. He's getting at pride. In fact, Paul, Paul addresses their pride six times in this letter. 
the Corinthian church struggled with an overinflated view of themselves. We saw that last week, right? When they're like, we want the meat. We're so mature. Give us the theology. Give us the doctrine. We want the meat. And Paul says, and you can't even keep your milk down. Pride is what is driving a lot of their issues. It's what is driving a lot of our issues. And so right here, Paul puts that issue in the context of leadership. Paul says, Apollos and I are leading for your benefit. We're leading with you in mind. The reason that you're an unhealthy culture is because you're leading for your benefit too. You're puffed up against each other. This is a point straight out of the text. We can't get more clear than this. To be a great leader, be humble. Be humble. We all like humble leaders. We're drawn to humble leaders. We are, for the most part, repelled by pride-filled leadership. But I want to look at humility in, in a different light, though, in the way that Paul is talking about it. Because most of us, we view humility very wrong. Often when we think of humility, we think of like a weaker-looking, unconfident type of person. You know, that's why Jesus is often portrayed in paintings looking like a skinny cross-dresser. You know, trying to look very humble. You know, oh, he's so humble. He couldn't even hurt a fly. He doesn't have the strength. You know, very weak and unconfident, very timid. Um, that's not humility. And that wasn't Jesus. I love how C.S. Lewis defines humility perfectly aligns with what Paul's getting at right here. C.S. Lewis wrote this. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. So Paul's getting at in verse 6. He says, Apollos and I are leading for your benefit. We're leading with you in mind, not ourselves. So lead with confidence. Lead with strength. Be someone worth following. And as you do, lead for the benefit of those that are following behind you. That's true humility. Is that you? As you lead your home, as you lead your workplace, as you influence those around you, are you leading to bless others, to grow others, to benefit others, thinking of others? Or is it all about your agenda, your bottom line, your way, your reputation? Bring up my dad again. Um, I have a great relationship with my dad. He's, I, I consider him one of my best friends. When I was 17, I really struggled with him, uh, and it was on me. I, I was trying to figure out independence. I was trying to figure out manhood. I was testing boundaries. And I had friends at the time in my, in my uh, Christian school who basically rejected their parents because their parents were so focused on their image. You know, how, how did the kids make them look? And parents who, have, who are image-driven, they tend to lose their kids because kids see through that, and, and they reject that. They don't, they don't want any part of that. And so that, that's what was going on with me. As a pastor's kid, I was, I was wondering the same thing. You know, does, does my dad have these rules because, you know, he's trying to be like the perfect little pastor's family, and I'm a trophy to his parenting. So I felt this pressure to be a good pastor's kid. I don't want to fall in line with that, though. And so I was pulling away from, from that. I remember one day getting into an argument with my dad. I don't even remember what it was about. We were in the kitchen. We were arguing. But I do remember he looked at me and he said, Junior, this has nothing to do with me. This has nothing to do with how you make me look. This has nothing to do with you being a pastor's kid or being my trophy. I'm trying to help you. I'm saying this for your benefit because I love you and I want you to succeed. Now, when he said that, I, I don't think I believed him at first, but it stuck with me. Okay, if he cares about my future, if he's thinking about my success, well, then maybe he's worth listening to. Maybe he's worth following. And you will not impact anyone. Your spouse, your kids, your coworkers, you will impact nobody until they believe the same thing, that you care about their benefit, that they matter to you, that you think about them more than yourself and more than your image. That's humility. See, as you lead, and you should lead, as you lead, one of the biggest questions that you should ask yourself as you have meetings, as you direct, as you instruct, 
as you parent, as you parent, the biggest question to ask yourself is this. Is this for their benefit or my benefit? Is this comment I'm making? Is this argument I'm having? Is this feedback I'm giving? Is this tone that I'm using? Is this discipline that I'm handing out? Is this for their benefit or my benefit? If it's for your benefit, you will either lead to harsh, because they're just a means to your end, or you will lead to cowardly, because you don't like conflict, and so you'll let them ruin their culture, ruin their family, ruin their lives, because you don't want to confront them. But if it's for their benefit, you will have more conversations to help people grow, and those confrontations will work better. Not always. Some people just reject being led, but those confrontations will work better, more than normal, because it's for their benefit. And you'll have more influence. You'll have a healthy culture. It's humility. Paul's so good, isn't he? It's like no wonder God used him to lead so many people. He's got more for us. I I love verse 7. Verse 7 says, For who sees anything different in you? The way Christians should lead should be different different than how anybody else leads. Our influence is different. Our homes, our families are just peculiar. I was talking with my daughters about this uh, last week. I'm not trying to instill fear right now, but um, there's some curriculum changes that are being introduced right now into the public school systems, and so my wife and I are having these conversations with each other. My, my, my girls listen in uh, in those conversations sometimes during dinner, and the other night, I, as we were talking about the, these curriculum changes, um, I told my girls, I said, girls, just so you know, you're going to be peculiar girls as you grow up. You're, you're going to be very different than the girls around you, and that's okay. You're going to be different than the kids at school. You're going to be different than, than, than the neighbors and your friends. You're going to be peculiar because we're different. We're different than everybody else, and that's okay. I spoke at a Christian school lock-in last week with a bunch of high schoolers. said the same thing. We're going to be peculiar. If you're going to follow Jesus in this world, you're, just, you're going to be peculiar. You're going to be weird. And what Paul is saying here is the way you lead is going to be weird. You're gonna, they have to see something different in you. People should look at Christians and say, okay, I can't get into what the Christians get into, and I, I, I can't buy into what they're buying into, but I sure as heck would love to work for one. I would love to do business with one. I would love for my kid to marry one of them because they have healthy cultures. How we lead our families is going to be different than our neighbors, and how we lead in our offices is going to be different than the other offices. Verse 8 through 13, uh, Paul points out their leadership, uh, the the leadership of the apostles and what their leadership did for them. Um, So, okay, you know this. The more you lead, the bigger the target on you. The more you influence, the more opposition you get. So as your influence grows, people are just going to take more shots at you. Because your influence is bringing light into the darkness, and the darkness is going to push back. And so Paul reminds the church, he says, hey, as you grow in your leadership, you're going to get shots taken at you. Look at the disciples. They're getting persecuted. They're getting slaughtered. And he says, but when we're reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. And so as you lead, you'll take your shots. But let them take their shots. Let them blog about you. Let them tweet about you. Let them gossip. That's on them. This isn't about us anyways. It's about the kingdom of God. And so we just keep on going for the kingdom of God. Verse 16. He says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. Well, that doesn't seem very humble. Imitate me. But what, what, what's humility? humility? Humility is leading for their benefit. If the Corinthian church imitated Paul, that would greatly benefit their culture. And so this is humble. And what Paul's getting at, though, is if you want to be a great leader, be a great follower. Be a great follower. I think so many times people just want to jump to the top, never follow. 
And usually it's those people that fall to the bottom very fast. It's like the, what's the Bon Jovi song? You weren't born to follow. I love Bon Jovi. But sorry, he's a little bit wrong. Before you lead well, you got to follow well. Reminds me of when I was a youth pastor. I had this uh, leader. He was much older than me. And instead of like blessing me and, and helping me along as a young leader, he just like bucked against everything I did. Any decision I made, he was just against it. Very hard to work with. Constantly criticizing me. And I remember he told me one time, he says, I'm, Junior, I'm a leader. I don't take guidance very well. I was like, then why are you trying to guide people? Why are you trying to guide if you can't take guidance yourself? Why should anybody take guidance from you? And if you look at people like that, they never do much with their lives. They never live up to the potential that God has for them because they refuse to be led. You can't be over what God has placed under you until you can be under what God has placed over you. You can't be over what God has put under you until you can be under what God has placed over you. And God knows how much he wants you to lead. He could have so much for your, for your leadership and for your influence, but you will not lead out until you're faithfully led. This is so biblical. Just think, about, think, think through scripture. Joseph submitted to Potiphar before taking over Egypt. King David was under King Saul, a horrible boss, for decades. Jesus submitted to the Father. Timothy was led by Paul. I, mean, I could go on and on and on and on. You will not be over what God has for you until you can be under what God has put over you. And that's why Paul is saying here, imitate me. Come under me. Follow me. Truth is, we all imitate people. Who do you imitate? Just let a few faces come to mind right now. Who influences you? Who do you look up to? Those faces that come to mind, do they have a strong relationship with God? If they're married, do they have a good marriage? Are they servants? Do they have a healthy home culture? See, we're often very flippant with who we imitate, and that ruins our lives. Think about the time when I struggled the most. Gosh, when I was 17 years old, struggling with my dad, it was the wrong faces that were influencing me. I was imitating people I had no business being influenced by. I met my uh, friend Theo when I was 17 years old. Uh, he was a huge help for me. Just to kind of get out of the funk that I was in as a cocky 17-year-old. I met him when I was in Romania. Uh, he had, uh, he's in ministry today. And he, had, he has long hair and he drives a motorcycle. So I guess I imitated a lot of him. But, um, but seriously, when I started hanging out with Theo when I was 17, I started, he started speaking into my life. And I started seeing my parents differently. I started seeing my faith differently. And my attitude changed. It was his influence. When I look at people who are just doing nothing with their lives and they're just negative, just look at who they're being influenced by. It's going to be the same type of people. See, the quality of your influence is determined by the quality of your influencers. The quality of your leadership is greatly impacted by the quality of those who are leading you. And some of us have really bad home lives because we're imitating people who have really bad home lives. Bad husbands imitate bad husbands. Bad wives hang out with bad wives. Bad leaders are influenced by bad leaders. My wife tells me all the time, in fact, she said this last night as we were cleaning up after dinner. She, she, she was talking about a friend of hers, and she said, I love hanging out with her. I love hanging out with so-and-so because when I leave hanging out with her, I just want to be a better wife. And I want to be a better mom after I leave hanging out with her. And we're all like that. 
either positively or negatively, those faces that we imitate, they matter. The quality of your influence is directed by the quality of your influencers. And so, yeah, follow, follow, but my goodness, follow the right people. Following verse 16, if you just look at the chapter here, now Paul points out that there were people in the church who were complaining that they didn't get enough time with Paul. So there were people saying, Paul's never coming back. He's too good for us. Some leader he is. And uh, you know the whole complaint in, the, in churches, you know, pastor never has time for me. That was going on back then. And so Paul addresses that. But, but look at how Paul finishes the chapter. I love this. It'd be funny if it weren't serious, but look at, look at the last verse in chapter 4, verse 21. He writes, what do you wish? You tell me. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? You're all messed up. You're proud. You're competing. You're arguing. Your home cultures are terrible. Your marriages are awful. Your church is insufferable. You're abusing your influence. You're trying to get everybody else to row your boat. You have no humility. You're so unhealthy. I'm coming to visit soon. Should I bring a rod to smack you with, or should I, are you going to shape up and I come with a spirit of gentleness? This is so good. You can't get away with this today. You'll get blogged about. It's, it's, not, just, it's not just tough writing. This is actually really, really brilliant if you dig a little bit deeper into this verse. You, you go back to the last chapter. We talked about this last week. Remember when Paul says, you, as a church, you are God's temple. Now, remember when Jesus came to God's temple? Remember what he did, you know, here on earth when he visited God's temple? People were, you know, money changing, and so Jesus walks in with a whip. I mean, it had to be the most B.A. picture ever. Jesus standing there with a whip. And Paul says, you, church, are God's temple. Jesus is coming back. Now, I'm coming back, but ultimately, Jesus is coming back. He will judge you based on how you use your influence, how you directed your home cultures, how you led in your church culture, how you use your influence at work. You will be judged for that. Are you abusing your influence? You're being too harsh, too cowardly, not capitalizing on opportunities to influence people. Shall Jesus bring a whip with him? Or are we leading out in such a way that we're making him proud with how we're using our influence that he's given to us? We're serving, we're rowing people's boats, we're mining their value, we're being humble, and we're imitating the right people. Paul says, what do you wish? Shall he come with a rod? Or shall he come in a spirit of gentleness? What say you? That's really the so what. It's a, it's a harsh question, but that's, I mean, it's a great way to finish the chapter. Paul gives us the so what at the end of the chapter. You are called to be an influencer. God has placed you in different environments and families and workplaces, social networks and church to influence, to serve, to steward, to be humble, to lead. How are you doing in those environments? How's your, how's your work culture? How's your home life? When it comes to the culture at the bridge, I really do believe we have a great culture here. Are you adding to it? Maybe the question to ask ourselves before we leave is just what's lacking in your leadership? When you think through everything Paul gave us, what's lacking? And maybe you've never thought of yourself as a leader before, but you are. If you follow Jesus Christ, Jesus is not your leader. You're gonna use your influence for me now. Maybe when you look at your leadership, you're just, you're not a great servant. You've seen leadership opposite. And so this week you need to grab an oar. Maybe when it comes to leadership, you never saw yourself as a miner. That you, you not, don't focus on your own value, but you focus on the value of others. And you pull that out of them, draw it out of them, and set them up to shine. 
Maybe you're just not humble. Maybe you're imitating the wrong people. But when it comes to your leadership and your influence, how you're influencing, what's, what's lacking? Hey, thanks again for listening. And if you enjoy the podcast, don't forget to subscribe. Better yet, hit that share button. Maybe screenshot it, share it with your friends. Thanks again for joining in. And until next time, God bless.